0: Welcome to my good bad brain I'm a normal person so I'm insane I've got depression and ADHD but I'm doing better since I medicated me I'm still not always sure whether I exist or what being a person even really is But I figured out a long time ago that Life is beautiful. Hey, let's do a brain breather. Um, brain breathing, man. Taking time, taking time. It's just me. It's it's uh these little diary things, you know, these reflections on what's going on have proven truly helpful. In my life. I think I've said that. Maybe I'll just keep saying the same things. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I have to talk to think, right? And uh, I mean, some people are like that. I've just learned I'm like that. Um, i got to talk to think. And usually I have to do that with other people. It creates sometimes not the healthiest... Uh, healthy is not the right word. It's not a healthy. It's just rude. I don't know... Speaking patterns where I just kind of go and, go and go and go and go and go and I can get real monologuey with whoever I'm talking to because you know not try to be rude but I'm, I'm just trying to figure something out that's in my head and I don't I don't know what to do with the thoughts I don't know what they are yet and I'm I'm thinking them out loud and I guess I can say things I regret and do the brain breathers have allowed me to um, do that alone you know cultivate this practice of talking to myself out loud. And it's amazing how different that is from just thinking thoughts. Um, You know, maybe try it on your own if you have the space to do that. The car is a good time. The shower is a good time. I've always worked out dialogue and ideas and stuff for fictional things in the shower. I don't know why. It just seems emotional. Maybe the watery quality. Um, Hey, as a side note, my... Front of my building is covered in little birds. I, I maybe those are all hummingbirds. I put a hummingbird feeder outside of my uh, window a little bit ago, and hummingbirds have become a little totem for me. I think I love them. They feel like little messengers from the earth that have something important to tell me. But uh I see there are like lots of them out there. I can't see them. I'm so far away. They look like hummingbirds. They might be little sparrows or swallows. I don't know. What do I know? I'm not, I don't know about birds, but they are beautiful. And I'm going to go with a lot of hummingbirds because that is just so magical. Uh, no, it just flew away. It doesn't look like a hummingbird. But they're beautiful little birdies. Damn. I'm trying to distract myself because I think what I'm going to talk about today is dark and fucking weird. And my reaction is weird. And I don't feel great about it. I I do. I feel. I don't feel bad about it. I don't feel good about it. I think I'm getting better at not judging my feelings. Um ever since Terry uh Terry Bradley, you know, listener uh brought this validation idea to me. You know, about feelings, feelings, thoughts, uh whatever, looking looking to validate your experiences, realizing that a feeling you have inside can't be right or wrong. It just is what it is you know um that you can't invalidate a feeling that you truly have it's just a thing that happened you can interact with it and try to change it and, and inquire with it and it doesn't mean that it's morally good or bad it just means that it is uh or sorry it doesn't mean that it isn't morally good or bad i think i think that you're not even talking about it morals at that point because then you're already entering into sort of uh The court of your um, own opinion, your own sense of justice and goodness and badness or whatever. And here I am avoiding again getting into what happened, I guess, and what I am because I don't know what it says about me. Um, Death. Never been good at dealing with death. I've never been good I think there's all these ideas about, like, maybe there's a correct way to experience death or accept it or understand it. My deepest, my most personal experiences with death... I mean, maybe we could just have, like, a personal history of death sometimes. I feel um, blessed that I, I I don't... I haven't had a ton of death in my life compared to... Um, other people even in my family my brother i feel there's something in the universe i don't know why what it is in his narrative or how it worked out or if it's just chaos and that's the breaks but my brother has had a lot of death in his life kids in his grade that he was friends with or closer to and then my grandfather which was a big death experience for me he was much closer to he was with him when he passed and he was closer to him in life and the whole thing was um bigger and heavier and more present for him as he and my grandmother sat with him and uh, after he died they made brownies apparently at four in the morning and walked out uh, to a beach nearby and watched the sun come up but I remember saying bye to my grandfather I'm not going to go too into it There's, I've written different poems about it that I feel express it good enough but I remember, just I remember it being the last time And I knew it was going to be the last time. Looking at his body, him sitting there on the couch, and him knowing that it was the last time he was all eaten away by cancer. Almost looked like a Muppet, you know? The person uh, that you knew becoming bones and skin as they sort of move towards... The end of whatever that organism was doing here. And I knew that he knew, and I knew that I knew, and I really lost it on the way, you know, just to the car, even. I said goodbye, I said I love you, and we hugged. And sometimes when you know something's really big, you're not even experiencing it, you know? You're just doing the thing. You're walking through the motions, you're saying the hug, and the I love you, and the goodbye, and you're waiting for the feeling to come that's supposed to come. The big feeling that's supposed to come. And maybe it doesn't. I always thought, you know, in acting in acting they there's scripts that'll say they start to cry, they get choked up or they start weeping. And um that's often a question of actors from especially younger people. Can you cry? Or people that don't act, can you just cry on command? You must be a good liar. And I always thought that was silly. There was periods of time when I definitely could. Sometimes I can. I could probably summon up some crying for somebody, but I could also summon up some uh, vomit or a sneeze maybe. And I was like, this is just a bodily reaction. It has nothing to do with what I'm feeling. I've seen people cry and you feel nothing for them because you know they're faking it. You know that they're just performing. their crying for you and they're not really feeling grief or anguish. And I have seen people, I have been the person when I am feeling the most feeling I've ever felt the most grief or beauty or love, whatever, the feeling so overwhelming and there is nothing to show it outwards. This idea that we need to perform how we are and who we are in a certain way for our feelings, our experiences to be real is very frustrating and damaging, I think, to us. Especially in this new weird world where, fuck, like reality TV and YouTube is full of all these people performing their human experience for all of us in the way that goes, I'm being a person, I'm being a person, aren't I such a person? And people buy it or don't and just play along anyway. But I remember saying I love you and saying goodbye to my grandfather and walking out the door. And then it crumbling me on the way to the car. And I said in the car, it's just the finality of it. I just couldn't, I didn't know what to fucking do with it. I don't know what to fucking do with it. There's no do over. There's no, oh, we broke up, but we still exist. We'll talk again. There's no no, nothing. There's no nothing. (laughs) There's no thing after that. There's no choice. The death has happened and they're gone. They're going to die. That's it. And something about that I think I hesitate to make decisions and I wait to act and I put a lot off my life and I disengage with my life a lot just so that I don't close the door to options. Just so that I can remain in possibility. I don't make choices. And then you have death coming in and it makes a choice for you. There's nothing you can do. You can't call that person more. You can't put off and say, oh, I'll get more in touch with my grandpa and get to know him more next week or in a month, or, you know, when it's time. Because it's over. It's been chosen. What do you do with that? I remember the earliest times that I saw death in my life being, I mean, the two that I think of are, the two that I think of are, one, my friend, I think her name was Rebecca, Rebecca when I was in elementary school and her mom died, Rose it's the names I remember and they might be wrong I remember that we used to watch uh, I remember watching Kindergarten Cop at her house one time and she was a single mom and it was fun to go to her house she'd make us milkshakes we had uh, mint chocolate chip milkshakes and watch Kindergarten Cop that's the biggest memory I have of her and them and she died and I don't know I don't know what the circumstances were. I was young. I remember some bad sort of echoes around it. Um, I'm not going to get into it. Because that's that person's life and memory. But they died. And I went to the funeral. Well, I went to the wake. I don't even remember if I went to the funeral. I don't know how old I was. I must have been in elementary school. feels like every memory is you're nine years old. But I went. And... I remember seeing her, my friend, who I remember being Rebecca, but I don't remember being very serious friends um, much after that as we got older. You know, the stuff fades. I just remember seeing her crying, of course, sitting up front. And I remember this casket being open and barely being able to look at it, this thing that wasn't a person that was kind of looked like this you know, Rose, this mom. I remember like almost panicky, just trying not to look at it. Just trying not to look at it and getting out of there. And I remember something probably the next time I saw death in my life, like death, and I know these seem silly, you know? I mean a lot of some people have fucking death ex- close to them, but I don't know. I'm I'm just gonna keep going. Um This is a funny I guess weird thing to follow up with, but the next thing I remember in, in childhood and my experiences of death, like death, 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 death was a camp. There's a shooting range at camp. We could shoot twenty twos, you know, real real guns, not air guns, and it felt fucking cool. And you weren't allowed to shoot animals, obviously. And I think the camp had some kind of rule, like if you killed an animal at camp, you had to eat it. So you know, if you went fishing and you caught a fish in the river, you had to eat it. Things like that. And you weren't allowed to shoot an animal. No one would shoot an animals. And one kid did, and it was this weird camp where it was, like, it was, like, a lot of kids from all over the country. It, was, it The camp was in Colorado, and so you had a mix of, like, kids from all these different backgrounds. And I was from suburbs of Chicago. You know, we didn't hunt. We didn't farm. We didn't do any of that. We, we didn't even really shoot guns. Nobody owned guns. You know, a very blue liberal area. And we're shooting these twenty twos these single-shot twenty two bolt bolt-action target rifles. And this kid shoots at a chipmunk that's running around this mountain mountain camp, this chipmunk. And he hits it. But it didn't die. He uh shot its leg off, I think. That's what I remember. And it's running around and pain is horrible. And the counselor starts yelling at him. Shoot it again, you know, kill it, put it out of its misery, kill it. The kid's fucking unhappy and beside himself can't believe what he did obviously fucking terrible I mean I think kids experiment with cruelty before learning how fucked up it is whether it's being mean to friends or hurting animals or whatever not everybody but some kids and I think different backgrounds have different feelings about animals I don't know But this counselor snaps up the rifle. And it was so strange to see this guy. Because camp counselors are like 18, 19, 20-year-olds. When you're a kid, they seem like grown-ups, you know. And to see this camp counselor snap up this rifle and work the bolt. And just shoot it. Kill it. and this weird silence. And, um... Just kind of recovering from that. I don't remember anything before or after that. I just remember that the stillness and the fucked upness and the shame that this kid was feeling and all of us feeling because of it. And it was fucked up and it was crazy. But that was death and there was a strange numbness around it. My great grandmother died and that was the first I think that was the first like family member, family member that I had like some reaction, some feeling to some relation to dying, but she was an old, old woman. She was our great grandma. I'd spent a lot of time knowing her in my youth and she was a real grouchy person. And I remember speaking at her funeral. I was old enough and I could speak my family and I, the kids, uh, we went up to the rural community that she was in and we sang. We sang this Down to the River to Pray song that my mom really loved. It was uh, a thing made kind of popular in that movie, um, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Uh, you know, I went down to the river to pray, studying about that good old way and who should wear the starry crown. Oh Lord, show me the way. Oh, brothers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, brothers, let's go down, down to the river to pray. We sang that. The kids all together, kind of a cappella. And my mom would do this Von Trapp thing, and she made us do that. And um, they liked it, and they liked this speech I did. I, I don't remember what I wrote. I still just remember talking about this uh, smell of grandma's house and how it would never go away. And it would always make me think of uh, chicken soup with dumplings and cold lakes and her. And that still gets me a little bit. And she had an open casket funeral, too. And I mentioned the thing about her being grouchy because <laughs> I remember saying something like that, like... uh uh, if you knew my grandma, you knew she wasn't the easiest person to get along with. And I got this big laugh from the whole community, this little town up there in Wisconsin. Everybody laughed about it. And uh, <laughs> to this day, I got I got props still to this day from people being like, I like the way that you um, said your grandma was a bitch <laughs> without saying that she was just funny. And even that, I remember seeing her in the open casket and feeling like, oh, it's not her. This feeling that it just wasn't her. And then there was my grandfather. I never saw his body after saying goodbye because he was ashes then. We buried his urn and I had a surreal ghostly experience. Um, (laughs) I just heard his voice in my head. He was a, he was a very like American man's man. And he had like a right way to do everything. I asked him to teach me how to change spark plugs in my car and change the oil when I was a teenager, because it just seemed like a thing you're supposed to know how to do and a thing that he would know how to do. And he was funny about it. He was like, I can, but you know, it costs like 15 bucks or like 50 bucks. Like you might as well just go <laughs> have them do it at the shop, but sure. <laughs> and he taught me, I don't know if I retained it. We changed out the spark plugs. We drained the oil, we put new oil in the oil and we did the whole thing, put in the filter, but I don't know. It was one of those like shots in the dark. It felt like a thing I was supposed to do with my grandpa and that he obliged. But I heard his voice in my head. He'd call everyone boobs, you boob. Um, And I heard him saying, uh, God damn it. If you, what did he say? He was like, God damn it. That's going to, I swear to God, it was like in my head when we buried this fucking urn. God damn it. Uh, You got to put it deeper. That's going to wash out with the first rain. And we fucking did, man. Everybody laughed and believed me or bought it and knew that it was important to do. So we undid the digging we did, took the urn out, dug the hole two feet more, three feet more, put it back in, covered it up. I don't know, my family accepts a certain amount of mysticism. And that shit fucked me up too because they did the um, 21-gun salute thing. They folded a flag my grandpa was in the army when he was younger. And so even though he's an old man, he's still part of the American Legion. And they did this ritual, you know, where they folded the flag. These old men in their uniforms folding the flag and giving it to my grandmother who is still alive. Doing the same steps and the same folding and the same ritual that had been done, who knows, countless many times before for other families. And I think the power was in that, you know. It wasn't that my grandfather was particularly like rah rah america military whatever but it was just this fact that the same thing had been done so many times by other people in mourning and to show respect and meaning and love for them to say he was part of this he did something for this and it means something and we're grateful you know and whatever may you know angels uh rush him to his slumber or whatever the fucking thing is And the next big death thing that I always think of was uh, I was a butcher for a while, and I did it because I read this book, Omnivore's Dilemma, about factory farming and about, um, you know, how meat gets made, how, how food gets made, corn everywhere, grain and corn syrup and blah, 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 industrial agriculture. It's horrible. And I, I, you know, also always had this thing that I wanted apocalypse skills. I want, you know, I want to know how to do things with my hands that they could do in the old world. And I don't know now, just stuff to use, you know, whatever, just feel more useful. And um, I ate meat a lot. And I was like, I should, uh, I would like to learn to butcher one day to be more useful. Uh, and also just, you know, I grew up, like I said, in suburbs of Chicago. We didn't kill food. We didn't experience Farming and whatever, and it's really fucking hypocritical of me that I eat meat and I'm not part of that. I should see being near the death, the reality of it, if I am okay with it. And I became a butcher, and butchering is not slaughtering, that's a different uh, thing. But the butcher shop I worked at was uh, all old world style, whole animal butchery, and it was you know, part of the point of it was it was all happy animals before they're dead. You know, they live in these better farms and all from within 70 miles of L.A. and blah, 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 blah. And uh, I spent a lot of time cutting up animals from their bodies on. And it was weird. It was weird to do it. Pig skin, especially when it's fresh, is a lot like people uh, skin. And you realize we're all just fucking weird machines, man. These... Tendons and bone and ligaments and cartilage and blood and <clears throat> doing the pig faces was the fucking weirdest shit ever, man. Uh, there were days where you things would be weird, and there were sometimes we'd stop when it was new. Me and my other friend who I worked there with Buck and he'd stop and be like, "It's fucking weird, huh?" Moving on, <laughs> we're gonna eat it, and we'd eat it. Uh, and one day. Actually, after, I had kind of stopped working the butcher shop, but they knew that I was um, interested in hunting or being closer to ultimately, you know, the animal dying, the animal dying, killing the animal that I was going to eat. They invited me to take part in uh, a slaughter that they were doing on one of the farms. They were going to go up and help this farmer who we got our pigs from slaughter a pig and um, eat it. Well, not eat it that day, but butcher it and um it was fucking surreal of course it was intense it was um another it was a ritual uh that had been done millions and billions of times by humans with these animals that we keep for food and you know we took it off the uh, i don't get too into it whatever cuz people are probably not going to be interested in that But the reality of it was we took the pig out of the pen and calmed it down for a while and gave it a bath and hung out with it, you know, some cool water and chilled it out. And then um, when it came time to kill it, they shot it with the rifle. Didn't know what was going on. Just hanging out, chilling. Shoot it in the middle of the head. And that's how you get fucking pork chops, you know. That's how you get bacon. And this is actually much nicer than a lot of industrial farming and how that works. And there was this intense, serious need immediately from everybody present to care for the body of this animal, to not waste anything, to not let it get fucked up or anything. And it was um, intense, man. Uh, It was fucked up how fast this thing went from being a living thing to meat. And I think that probably sounds fucking crazy to say out loud. It sounds like a sociopath thing to say but if you eat meat and i know some of you don't and you'll have a moral high horse about this that's fine you know the reality is things die so people can live and even if you only eat grains and corn industrial farming those threshers that take up you know that grind up all those fields of wheat and whatnot they grind up plenty of ground nesting birds and voles and rodents and Baby deers that freeze instead of flee or fight when they're scared and that happens and there is death in that and there is death in a larger sense that you've destroyed their ecosystems and those things don't have places to live anymore and there is just death. To be a person on this earth, things die for you even if they're just plants. Plants put out toxins. Some plants have lectins that make it harder to eat them and they have those because they don't want to be eaten and I understand this may sound fucking like I'm trying to hedge the morality of it. I'm not. There's, you know, consciousness. There's different levels of consciousness. I'm just saying life exists and it wants to perpetuate itself. And if it wants to keep going, it takes from other things. And the molecules are all recycled. And that's death, man. Life consumes life. And... Um, I just kept thinking about that, all the times I've been around death, and it, like, the bodies weren't people anymore, and the thing suffering was, the little chipmunk suffering was real, and the kid suffering who killed it was real, and the counselor suffering with this anger and panic and what-the-fuckness killing it was real, and then it died, and it was no longer alive. It was no longer an animal. It was just this thing. And they put the body into the cask, and it was just this thing. And this pig got a bullet in its head, and then it was just meat. It was just pork chops and bacon and ribs. And this fucking weird thing happened like two weeks ago. And I was with my girlfriend... And we were at Costco, uh, just having a silly fucking day. Costco's silly and fun, you know. And they had these massage chairs that we were testing out, and we were just having a silly dumb day off at Costco. And we left the Costco to go to our car when the most American dumb shit ever—a big old parking lot. There's a Costco and a Best Buy and a fucking, you know, Panda Express nearby. And we're walking to the car. There's all these fire trucks near the car and this emergency paramedic ambulances near the car. And uh as we get closer, you know, we stop goofing around. We're saying, Oh well, they've cut well, the what are the cars here and well what do we do? So maybe somebody broken our car, maybe our car's on fire. And we get less funny because it's serious and something's happening. And we get closer and There's paramedics and they're attending to a man laying on the ground. Just an old man. And there's a woman who's just beside herself. Sort of sort of crying but almost like she was trying to cry but not crying clearly out of breath sort of oh my god in disbelief some screaming just grieving just so fucking freaked out and like so oh my god so so um real so not a performance so not directed so not correct so none of those things and just hurting and confused and the paramedics aren't being very urgent and I remember my girlfriend Mentioned that. Why aren't they being more urgent? were not they rushing? Because the question seemed already answered. And, you know, he was dead. They put a sheet over him. I have weird reactions in crises in general where I sort of feel no emotions. An intense eye... In, I don't know. I think it's useful. Some of it has to do with ADHD stuff... It's just always been my reaction, while things are going on, and I could tell my girlfriend was getting really upset, realizing that he was dead. We were all realized he was dead, and mostly because of this woman, this poor woman, who had firemen talking to her and paramedics talking to her, and we just lingered. We didn't, we didn't stare. We got further away from them, and we sat, and we just were trying to figure out what to do. Because this poor woman, because there's nothing to do for the man, and I, I don't know, I was talking to myself about this guy being dead, and uh, I was thinking, you know, the same thing I thought a little bit about my great-grandma dying, some quote I heard somewhere: time, the death of an old man is not a tragedy, you know, you've lived a long life, that's supposed to happen, we all die, is part of living. You know, my girlfriend couldn't... I mean, she said, you know, they just didn't fucking know. They didn't know when they left the house today. When they went to fucking Costco, that that was it. That that was the last time. They had one of those, like... Sun blockers on the front of the car. Like, blocks the windshield, you know, so the car doesn't get too hot or whatever. And it was like the that shot from Star Wars where you're looking in the front window of the Millennium Falcon, I think from New Hope, and it's like Obi-Wan's there, and Luke and Han and Chewie, and they had that on the inside of the front windshield of this car. This woman was sitting behind it now on the uh, passenger seat talking to um, one of the firemen, my girlfriend, you know, she was like, let's, should we go hug her? Someone should hug her, she said. And she was really feeling it. She so empathic and present with it. And as I was talking to her and talking about it, I was like, you know, she's got the fireman there. I don't know. I'm not sure what the right thing is to do. And I felt strangely distant. I started to get the panic into my voice as I talk more about her and start to feel the emotions, because she was really feeling them, and this woman was just grieving so hard and so alone with just the fireman who can't hug her because of the rules. And as I talked, I started to get the warble in my voice, and just thought, "No, it's not for me. It's not mine. It's not my grief. It's not my grief. I can't do that right now. I need to be here for um, my girlfriend and for whoever, for whatever, for whatever happens. It's fine. It's not mine. It's not my grieving. It's not my emotion to have. I don't need. It's not mine to take. That's wrong to do." And the man, I just, I can't explain it, and it makes me feel weird, like I'm a sociopath or something. But I just couldn't. I just was like, that's not him anymore. That's just meat now. And I said this to my girlfriend. I don't think it was a comfort. I said it as we were driving away. I said it after we figured this out. Because we walked over. I said, let's try. You know, if you feel like you got to try, I think that's a good thought. Let's go try. Let's see if she wants a hug. Because, you know, you don't know, you don't know what someone else is going through. You don't know how touch works for them. I can know that I would want to hug and that we're all people. We want to say you're here with other people who care and you're not alone and your pain belongs to other people too if you wanted to. Um, But, you know, there's propriety and there's... You just don't know what anybody is or needs, and you don't want to make things worse. And so we wander over, and the fireman sees us coming over, and we're kind of being careful. And my girlfriend's leading, and he comes and he says, "Can I help you?" And we say, "We just, we just want to see if she wants a hug, if she if she could use a hug." We know you can't hug her. He's like, "I can't. It's the rules." She's, you know, she's um pretty overwhelmed right now, and we've got some family coming, and you know that's fine. Thank you so we said okay well just if she needs it whatever and we walked back away she didn't even notice us I watched oh man (laughs) I watched um before we even got out of the car and while we were seeing and trying to figure out what was right to do I did see this one man walk up um with a bottle of water and he was similarly intercepted by the fireman Who took the bottle of water and gave it to the woman who was crying. (sighs) And that was real. And that was existing here. That was life and people being people. In a real way. But the death seemed done now to me. Mitchell Davis said on this podcast this thing that I have really not let go of about why he doesn't fear death because he can't remember from before he was born and he knows for sure though he wasn't scared and he wasn't in pain and it wasn't awful. There was no horror. It was before. It was whatever is before being here and that gives him comfort about death, that he'll just go back to whatever that is. And I had this overwhelming feeling of that. The death is done. The man is not here and he is not in pain. And the grief we feel is not his grief. It is the woman's grief and it is the people that are left behind who will carry him the way I carry my grandfather's thoughts still. And not just in the way of the ghost talking to me, but in... The idea that you can teach people how to do their spark plugs and empty their uh, fucking old oil and that there's a right way to do things and that you can show people you love them through teaching them and protecting them. You know, he's still here and that man will still be here in that woman and the people who he touched in their lives. But that the death, the dying itself... I don't know. When I look at my real feelings related to what happens there, there's I can't find the appropriate response. The one of, oh, how horrible, how painful, how scary. It feels like a nothing And you know, we laughed again that night. Not about that, of course, but just about life, about things we kept going. And this woman had had the worst day of her life. And you think about the wider world and how many people have had the worst day of their life and how many have had the best. And how many lives ended and are just meat now. How many cows and chickens and pigs and whatever. How many cats caught mice. Finality. How do you end things neatly or appropriately? How do we explain anything? How do we feel anything appropriately? And could we? Could we ever feel appropriately? Or can we only feel truly? Now the grief is hitting me and I can't explain why. I can't explain why when we speak about it, it matters more. Or when you tell the tale, you feel it more urgently and presently. I feel this way about love. When I describe the times I have felt the most love, the times I have been the most wrapped up and destroyed by it, by lust, by passion, or by generosity or kindness... In the telling of the story, in the the explaining of it, in the attempt to take this thing and put it into the mold of, of words, into flesh, into sound waves, it becomes realer somehow. Or perhaps it just becomes something I can experience in three dimensions because I'm making it something in three dimensions. Sounds and shapes and words. And so now I can cry. And now I can shake and I can feel all of it. But when it's happening, when it's there, I don't know. It just feels like a nothing. A horrible or a beautiful Nothing. I have no conclusion to this brain breather. I do not believe this is one that would ever wrap up neatly. I don't think I'm done with it. I don't think I'll ever be done with it. And I don't think anyone ever will be done with it. Dying is part of living. And I frankly have no Fucking idea what living is. (laughs) I still check in to make sure things are real every day. With people who convince me that it is. And that it matters. Things are real. And they matter. And I cling to that. Thank you. I love you. I'm just going to stop now on one final inhale, exhale.